my presentation is really about what we can do at the level of looking towards the future. Because as we hear, in the short term, there is definitely a crisis. But in the medium and long term, there's also what I would consider a crisis, which is that we're not uh, leveraging, using our people to their full capacity. We're not training our students. We're not training our professionals to the maximum uh, of their potential. There is so much talent in Iraq and the Kurdistan region. Uh, and I believe that this is not simply a choice we have. We ha actually have no choice. Because in the, about 20 years, oil will play a much smaller role in the economy. And we need other sectors of the economy to grow up uh, in its place. And so tourism is one of those that is often tapped as the future of economic development. But I'm just going to consider cultural heritage issues here and what role the university system can play. Uh, first of all, I, I love the fact that UNESCO is on Twitter and Facebook. I'm a little bit skeptical because Shakira has retired and she's still 200 times more popular. So AUIS, we have a long way to go. UNESCO has a long way to go. The University of Oxford is, is well ahead of us, but we'll try and catch up and close the gap. Uh, so, but the, this interest gap is reflected in the number of Facebook likes, likes, the number of people who are following you. The smartphone is the number one piece of real estate in the world. If you're not on someone's smartphone, they're probably not checking what you're doing and what's, what's happening in the world. I know in class time, and every professor probably knows, our number one challenge is to stop people checking Facebook in class. So hopefully, uh, when they're checking Facebook, they're checking Unite for Heritage, they're checking Rashid, they're checking something from the State Board of, uh, uh, of Archaeology and Heritage. Uh, we need to be visible and present in where the audience is, uh, both as professionals, but also to the wider audience and the community at large. We've heard a lot about the uh, intentional destruction of culture. I don't think we need to review that one more time. Many more people are more expert than me, and I'm very humbled by all of the presence of all of you in the room that you've been able to share with us what's happening on the ground in ways that we couldn't know from the television coverage or from just reading the newspapers or our Facebook. So, but. In AUIS, at least, we're very aware of this, that intentional destruction is deliberate and happening on a major scale, unintentional or misuse of cultural heritage. Both leads to the same result, which is often destruction. And we heard that yesterday with Robert Buley's talk about how uh, important Islamic caravanserais became olive fields simply because they did not know. And if they did not know, they did not care. Um, and part of that is getting engagement, getting people to care about cultural heritage. And it can't be top-down exclusively, because that's awareness. But we have to take the next step to build the community around cultural heritage. So I'm encouraged by a lot of the efforts in this room to build Facebook uh, pages, but also apps on the smartphone, but also uh, initiatives with you know, uh, cartoons and television and media uh, to make a positive engagement with cultural heritage. What we then will do is uh, try to reverse this trend, which is that 
if people don't know why cultural heritage is important, and even if, they, even if they don't know the cultural heritage of other groups, they can't even start to appreciate uh, an Assyrian community or a Yazidi community or the challenges that people are coming, uh, facing in every community in Iraq and the Kurdistan region. And I'll just say one thing, uh, from AUS's perspective, our, uh, our top student last year, after he graduated, he had to then go back to an IDP camp that was created by this war because he had nowhere to go. He was essentially a refugee and living at, um, on a, at AUS and studying at AUAS. But that, that was created by the war and there's millions of stories like him. But hopefully that there'll be some positive stories and we have to do all we can to create the positive against the challenges. But I think uh, in AUS, definitely I teach uh, world history and cultural heritage to any student and every student, whether they want to or not. And I hope I at least do something to turn the tide to make uh, people interested where there was no interest before. Because I say that the result of not being interested is the exploitation of material culture, cultural heritage, either through illicit trafficking for profit, destruction, propaganda, political aims, and we're very well aware of that in this room. We are also well aware, and I think half of our speakers said that money is important, and we need money, whether it's small or big. Uh, and I think one of the problems we have is cultural heritage became monetarized. And in the case of Iraq, very important milestones included the breakup and sale of important collections when people started to realize how valuable this cultural heritage was in financial terms. So even if they did not appreciate the cultural heritage in its own right, they appreciated that a cylinder seal could be worth thousands of dollars. And so this encouraged people then to take the next step in when security breaks down, to try and take advantage, financial advantage, of the lack of security. And so I welcome any and all efforts like the Italian efforts to train uh, and promote cultural heritage police forces, increase the security guards. Uh, whatever we can do to protect is an essential step. But we often see cultural heritage and we think, well, what value is it? And, and the positive on the financial side is often pointed to as ter uh, tourism. Uh, and just for example, it is the third biggest industry in the world, and 1.13 billion people traveled last year. And Bahrain is one of those countries that said, wouldn't it be nice to have a tourism industry? Uh, and they ha now have six million visitors where before they had two. Now, a lot of that is the product of the causeway, so it's easier for Saudis to visit. Uh, but if Qatar can get over a million visitors, if uh, Bahrain can expand to over five, if Jordan can expand to over 10, Tourism is obviously something that needs to be considered, and I just urge caution that it can't be the only thing considered. Economics can't be the only value, because then often the reconstructions or reenactments cause damage to cultural heritage as much, much as they generate profit. But definitely, we would like more of the financial benefit. Uh, looking around the world then, cultural heritage, what is it and what does it represent? There's a lot of countries who we could say have an oil curse. 
if, it's, if the oil is not used productively. And somewhere like East Timor is a small country without any uh, intellectual capital, with very poor education systems. It got independence and started to become an international oil exporter. And essentially, the bottom fell out of the oil price and it's broke. So, uh, and what is it doing to solve its problem? Well, it has nothing to do because how are you going to get there in order to be a tourist in East Timor? It's one of the most remote regions in the world. So you can just as easily go to Bali and have a very nice holiday in Indonesia, and it costs three times as much to go to Dili and have a holiday in East Timor. So tourism needs infrastructure. It needs investment. It needs management plans. It needs all of security. It needs all the things we talked about. Uh, but it, it needs capacity building to even begin most of those uh, challenges. And we definitely haven't had the chance to take a breath and think about the future. But when we think about the future after the destruction, some of the priorities are inevitably are going to be on which sites can be developed first in order to bring tourists back. Uh, and we're going to need the people. I would say in contrast to oil, oil generates a lot of money, but it doesn't directly employ a lot of jobs. Cultural heritage doesn't generate nearly as much money, but it generates a lot of jobs. So in terms of employment, it is one of the major industries in the world. Now Bahrain uh, expanded uh, its tourist industry and is making money, but in essence, its oil economy has just changed to another form of oil economy, because if it can't sell to the West, or to Asia, it just uses its oil uh, to subsidize its own industry. And I suspect we'll see a lot of that around the region where industrial policy trumps cultural and heritage policy. Uh, but let's focus on Iraq. The number one challenge for taking advantage is the, uh, we have to develop local intellectual capital. We need our universities generating uh, employees. And we need the talent to be world's best, best practices. A lot of the initiatives in this room are bringing experts here to train people, bringing experts from here to London. Uh, and so from a stronger base, it becomes more efficient then to uh, develop the capacity of everyone in this room, including our students, our colleagues, our friends. Uh, and so we need to obviously support the students and. Uh, I, I hope that the financial crisis uh, ends when the military crisis ends, because AUS is challenged, but the University of Suleimani is very challenged. Uh, and I hope that classes and productive activities can resume this very soon. We have to start to think of cultural heritage not as an island in itself, but as an innovation hub, a place where people can learn, a place where people can develop real-world skills that will affect everybody in the economy. Cultural heritage now needs servers, databases, apps. It needs passive remote sensing GIS, but also needs drones and active remote sensing. And those skills translate into every industry across the board. Uh, geophysics, I'm a big advocate for geophysics. Plus, it needs the good traditional archaeology people who can do the surveys and the excavations. And I'm very pleased that we are, there's a number of projects to uh, develop the skills in all of these areas. But hopefully, much more can be done locally 
and not just internationally. Uh, without the skills gap, people can't take advantage of the opportunities. We just heard from Leila Saleh that there is going to be a lot of money poured into a lot of competing projects, and every one of those projects should employ locals. Uh, not only should they be coordinated by governments and schools and universities, whoever is the most appropriate stakeholders, but they should be required to train and, and hire local people uh, and not just use uh, their, their funds for an international project based overseas. I appreciate that you all understand that, that you have the biggest impact if your impact is here. And I appreciate all of you coming because I think at some level you realize the conference has the biggest impact if the conference is here and not in London or Paris as much as it would be nice to be in Paris this week. So our job is to partner, and we're partnering to, with the University of Suleimani, we're partnering with Suleimani Museum, we're partnering with Erbil Museum, we're partnering with Amal, if they let us, we'll partner with everyone who needs a partner, because students are the future, but we want to partner to train the students and the cultural heritage professionals. They both need every opportunity that we have. And I say that students and cultural heritage professionals both need to be brought up together uh, because that's investing in today's cultural heritage capacity and tomorrow's. But I want to introduce a, a new, or not necessarily new, but a, a perspective that I think is important. We need to go beyond the students and the existing cultural heritage professionals. And we need community-based participata participatory action we need the Yazidis, we need the Assyrians, we need the Christians, we need everybody to be involved where appropriate and obviously in consultation with the stakeholders. Uh, because when we start to build the community, we start to be effective on a much bigger scale. So I was pleased to learn that in Syria, archaeology was the biggest research community in Syria. And I think not only will we have a core of, let's say, 5,000 uh, experts here from the State Board of Antiquity and the various organizations, but we can have 20,000 interested uh, like amateurs who can help us either on the ground or internationally processing imaging, images, taking photographs, some at great risk through their life in Mosul, uh, but we need to basically go beyond the walls of the university and the existing structure. And I like to think that the next cultural profession, heritage professional is anyone who likes culture, because the more we engage outside of the walls of academia, the more we increase, uh, and the more we can effectively protect and promote uh, cultural, cultural heritage of Iraq and the wider region. At least in our experience, we have had the benefit of international, national, and local partners uh, so we have the EU, Yamina, the University of Lyon partnered with our first ever project for the Center of Archaeology and Cultural Heritage. We have the State Board of Antiquities, uh, Nature Iraq, the regional museums, they're the national partners. Locally we have our own university partner, but we also have financial support from uh, different uh, companies around. Uh, and what I would like to do is invite the Suleimani Museum uh, to speak for five minutes about Keisha's first project, which I think is a good example of what can be done. 